so we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And then from verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to speak today about how to seize the moment. How to seize the moment. Life is about the moments you seize and the opportunities you take. And I really feel that today is a significant day for us as a church, but also for each one of us here. Because I'm convinced that Jesus' teaching on money and possessions is every bit as life-giving, every bit as life-transforming, every bit as freeing, every bit as powerful as his teaching in every other area. But if I'm honest, it doesn't always feel like that. Someone once said, the truth will set you free, but first it will really, really annoy you. And I found that, you know, I think if I was, if I, a number of years ago, if I was sitting in church like this, someone on the stage, and they said, you know, who loves Jesus? I'd have been like, yes, you know, who, 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 loves, who loves to worship Jesus? I'd have been like, yes, you know, who loves Jesus more than their family? I'd have thought about my little brother and said, yes, me. Um, you know, who, who, who wants Jesus to be Lord of their life? I'd have been like, yes, you know, who wants Jesus to be Lord of their finances? I'd have been like, can we just define some terms, please? Like, what, what did Jesus say about finances? What does it mean that he's Lord? Is this a hypothetical question or are you going to ask me to do something? Because I think I found it really hard, the idea of kind of giving over my finances to God. You know, I found it much easier once I got over the awkwardness to kind of lift up my hands in worship rather than use my hands to open my wallet in worship. Um, I found it much easier that way around. And I think the reason is that, well, my money, it's mine. You know, I've worked hard for it. I've earned it. You know, it's my money. And my money gives me a measure of kind of power and certainty and control and freedom in what can sometimes feel like an uncertain and confusing world. And I started with really good intentions, but if I'm honest, I slightly lost my way. And money started to get a bit of a grip on me. It's okay to have money. It's okay to have a lot of money. But it's not okay for your money to have you. And I lost sight that everything I had was a gift from God. I'd worked hard. I'd used my skill set. You know, but he had made me. He'd given me those gifts um, and positioned me and opened doors and looked after me in the difficult days and the dips 
and bless me with the resources. And I needed wisdom. I had a lot of information. I needed some wisdom. And I have found Jesus' teaching in this area to be so wise, so helpful, so challenging, so practical. It's actually transformed my day-to-day life. It's given me the very things I thought only money could give. Greater freedom, greater security, greater peace, greater joy. It's opened up for me huge opportunities I could never have anticipated and released blessing which was more than I could ever have hoped and I'm convinced just want to tell you I'm convinced if you want to live a full and thriving life in London in 2019 you need to let this teaching from Jesus take root in your heart so what what do we see well the first thing we see is you need to watch your flow you need to watch your flow I moved to London when I was 22. I was just starting work as a barrister. Um, We hadn't had much money growing up, so I didn't have kind of high expectations. Uh, I was just hoping to pay rent, put some food on the table. And we moved into this tiny flat in Whitechapel, East London. It was kind of a subdivided house. It was slightly crazy. And uh, on one side, we had a whole load of art students who smoked what can only be described as industrial quantities of cannabis. Like just, there were times I thought I was going to get high with what was coming through the walls. And on the other side was a kind of young, emerging, dynamic grime artist called Dizzy Rascal. And he'd just hit the big time, released Boy in the Corner, Mercury Prize. And so in the day, we had the smell of cannabis and in the evenings we had grime music coming through it's like the perfect first home and um and and I really love living there but and I didn't expect much but then in my first year of working I actually had a figure of what we would need to get by and I ended up earning five times that amount and I was immersed in this culture which was shaped by the pursuit of money and wealth and status And I was really hoping to be different, but without me even realizing it, that culture was starting to shape me. And I started to think more and more about money. Like, how can I earn more? How can I make more? How can I accumulate more? And I was making more and more money and accumulating more and more money, but that money wasn't giving me any more happiness. It wasn't making me any more joyful. If anything, it was making me more anxious and making me grip my possession tighter because I was so focused on what I had. And the tighter I gripped the possessions, the smaller my world was becoming. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the reason Jesus talks about money is not because money is important. It's because it reveals what's important to you. Jesus wants you. You're his passion. Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. Jesus was prepared to suffer for you. You're the one he came to save, to give himself for. And Jesus knows your attitude to money reveals your priorities, it reveals your hopes, your fears, and even your loves. And when I used to work in litigation, we used to have this saying, remember to follow the money. Don't forget to follow the money. Because when you trace the flow of the money in a case, when you followed the money through, you found out what really mattered to people. You found out what was really going on. And if you want to know what you value, look at your bank statement. It won't lie. You've got to watch your flow. What your heart treasures, your money will flow to. Now that could be all sorts of different things. Um, You know, there's all sorts of things you could treasure in your life. All sorts of things that you could set your heart upon. So for some people... 
For some, this is your heart. It's a wonderful heart, very healthy. It's taken a few knocks and scrapes on the way. But um, for some people, they really, you know, aim their heart at status. Like, that's where your heart is. And so if you aim your heart at status, um, you'll want, it will just be really natural. It will just flow, your money will flow really easy to what gives you status in your particular context. So where I grew up in Luton, it was cars. Like, lots of people had, like, souped-up Vauxhall Novas, courses with lowered suspension. Don't you've ever seen one of those? Um, maybe a subwoofer in the boot, if you're lucky. Um, maybe some tinting on your windows. It's just very easy to spend money on those things. But when I went to Oxford... It wasn't cars, it was books. People spent a serious amount of money on books. Some people had more books in their houses than they had bricks in their houses. It was crazy, just more and more money on books. But when I became a barrister, it was suits. Suits, like people spent serious money, like they dressed to impress, to kill. And um, I once did a case where the night before the case, everyone said to me, oh, the guy you're representing tomorrow is really difficult. He sacked a number of his previous legal teams. You're going to have a really difficult day. Um, it's going to be really tough. Um, he, no, one's, no one's got on with him. It's going to be really difficult. I turned up. The guy was warm. He was friendly. He was encouraging of what happened in court. I thought, I'm doing quite well. You know, I assumed it was my kind of superior legal skills and arguments, all this kind of stuff that had impressed him. And um, we were going through the day. And, went, well, and at the end of the day, he kind of came up to me shook my hand, he looked at me and he said, I knew you were a great barrister. The moment I saw your suit. <laughs> so that's the suit a great barrister wears. I was like, my suit? Next week I went to a tailor, I was like, take all my money, just give me more suits like this suit that I'm wearing now. So it could be surplus. Or for you, it might be safety. So you might, your money might flow quite quickly to what makes you feel safe. You know, and it might be that savings account. So you've got lots of savings accounts. You've got savings accounts for the savings accounts. You've got a buffer. You've got a buffer for the buff. You've got a rainy day fund for the rainy day fund. You just want to know that you're going to be safe. You've got insurance for the insurance for the insurance. And it's just, <laughs> everything just flows that way. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. It's good to be a good steward. But I once, I got a friend who's a financial advisor. He said someone came to see him once. They were in a state of high anxiety. He said, what's up? They said, just want to make sure we've got enough to get through life. He said, you've got enough to get through five lives. <laughs> you've got so much. So it might be safety. Or for you, it might be surplus. Your heart might rest in that. And so where your heart rests, your treasure flows. So you might, you might feel like, I just need more. Like for you, your resources are a way of kind of keeping score. You just want to know that it's accumulating. You know, actually, you don't mind taking a risk because you know deep down that without risk, there's no reward. And you're focused on the reward. It's like, yeah, I want to invest. I just want to know what the return on investment is. Yeah, that sounds like a good scheme. I'll invest in that. Oh, yeah, I want my money to work harder, to get more, accumulate it. You've got it on your app, on your phone. You're checking it every day. Is it going up or down? I just need to know because you want to do surplus. Or it might be that it's satisfaction. You just want to be satisfied. My life is relatively short. I want to make the most of it. I really struggle with FOMO. So if there's a restaurant opening or a holiday that I haven't been to yet, I need to go to it. It's obvious to me I want to go to it because I want to be satisfied. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but they were never meant to be the ultimate ends. They're good desires, but sometimes it's like we're trying to fulfill, trying to satisfy heavenly longings with earthly fixes. And they can't carry the weight of it. Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth. 
where moth and vermin destroy and thieves come in. And still, it seems the very things we rest our heart on, we put our hopes in, are themselves inherently unstable. So there's never enough suits. You know, savings go up and down. You know, maybe someone makes a bit more than you and it's not enough. What you think will satisfy you doesn't in the end. But they were never meant to be the ultimate end. But it's interesting. Because, you know, when you rest in Jesus, when you place your trust in Jesus, then you know that actually your status, you could never have greater significance than being a much-loved child of the Most High God, which is what he's given you. You know, you could never, he's talking about safety, but you could never be more secure than seeing the price he paid with his blood to win you and knowing that if he paid that price, he's never going to let go of what he took hold of. So you're secure in him. We talk about surplus. Peace says, I came so you might have life and life in all its fullness. We talk about satisfaction. But he says, come to me. I'm the bread of life. Now, when your desires are placed in him, when your heart rests in him, when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be given to you. You know, Jesus doesn't want your money because he wants your money. He wants your money because he wants your heart. And he knows that what your heart treasures, your money will flow easily towards. Thank you. When you rest your heart in him, when you see afresh his mercy and his grace, what he gave to win you, it shifts your flow. Watch your flow. But then secondly, realize your potential. Jesus says you have a choice. You either store up treasure on earth which you can't keep or treasure in heaven which you can't lose. And it seems you can invest what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. But I don't know about you. For me, when the day-to-day, the everyday shouts loudly, it can be hard to hear the whisper of heaven. And I find it fascinating that secular studies today support this teaching of Jesus. University of um, Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, um, however you say it, they've had a massive uh, science of giving study, huge study on the science behind giving, on generosity. And what they have found is that the more generous you are, the better the impact on your life, the increased happiness you'll experience, the better health you'll have, the greater sense of purpose, and the more personal growth you will see. A Harvard Business School, maybe slightly more commercially minded, hard dead, you know, show me the metrics. You know, they did their own study because they wanted to test this proposition that money can't buy you happiness. They said, maybe people just aren't spending it right. So they looked at a whole range of ways that you can spend your money. And what they found, to their surprise, was that none of those ways actually increase people's happiness, save for the initial dopamine hit, with one exception. When you took that money and you gave it to other people. Harvard Business School. Now I say Harvard, you're like, wow. I say Jesus, you're like, well. <laughs> Harvard Business School. Only 2,000 years late, Jesus said, 
It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But I still found it hard. And I had these like barriers to me realizing my potential as a giver. And if I'm honest, I used to see giving to church as a bit of a kind of an obligation to be performed rather than an opportunity to be enjoyed. And I'd just put it off. I'd kid myself. I'd say, oh, you know, when I'm earning millions, then I'm going to be really generous. But the thing is, money doesn't actually change you. Money just magnifies you. You know, how you are when you've got lots of money is how you were before. You just have more freedom to be how you are. It doesn't change you. It just magnifies what's already there. So if you're not generous with a little, why would you be generous with a lot? And I realized I needed to be generous with what I had. And you might feel called today. You might say, I feel called to make a lot so I can give a lot. That's great. But it starts today in the small things, in the small decisions. But then how much? I wanted someone to give me a figure. And I thought if someone gave me a figure, like I said to my pastor, tell me how much. And I thought I could kind of, I liked negotiating, so I could kind of negotiate him down a bit. It'd be quite fun. Um, and, uh, and he was like, I'm not going to tell you how much. Just, he said, generosity is like a muscle. Just give something, Steve. Start and then stretch. And I said, well, what about tithing? He said, yeah, you might find that helpful. And I looked into tithing. And tithing is this biblical principle mainly found in the Old Testament, but also Jesus refers to it and affirms it, which is that you give your first 10% of your income to God and I thought that sounded a lot but then I started doing it and I realized actually sometimes you know it's a real stretch like now it's it's costly to tithe but there's been times in my life where I was earning so much that I could tithe and if I'm honest I didn't even see it going out of my bank account it wasn't nearly enough I needed to do more to be generous I was in a, it, and the thing is, it kind of makes a difference to you, it makes a difference to the church, and it can make a difference to your whole environment. I was, one Friday night after a long week at work, I was in the pub, and when I was still working as a barrister, a number of people had gone to the pub for kind of a Friday night beer, and I happened to be speaking on money on the Sunday, first time I'd ever spoken on Monday, on money, and um, this senior guy came up to me, and he said, oh, Steve, uh, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, oh, you know, usual kind of church. And never normally asked this. He said, oh, what are you doing at church on Sunday? I was like, of all the weeks? Like, I said, oh, well, I've got to give a little talk on money. He said, money? Huh. He said, I've been meaning to ask you. He said, we've got a nanny, and she goes to this crazy church. And I said, oh, what do you mean? He goes, she gives 10% of her income to the church. That's crazy. What do you think about that? I said, oh, it's interesting. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, but you know, you, you, you wouldn't, you don't, you don't give 10% of your income to church. And I was like giving some maths in my head, like, no, no, I don't actually. No, no, no. And I was thinking, move on, move on. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. I would have been awkward for a second there. Um, what, what, what do you give? I was like, oh, um, oh, you know, it varies. He said, no, but what, what, what do you give this year? Like, what, how, much, how much are you giving? And I said, wow. Bit more than 10%? He was like, you give more than 10% of your money to the church. Why on earth do you do that? And I was like, I'm down. I might as well fire a shot before I get sunk. So I was like, I said, look, I, 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 I believe that everything, everything good in my life has been given to me by God. You know, this job, the income, the resources, everything I've got is a gift from God. Then one of the ways I can show my gratitude back to him is to, to give to him out of what he's 
given to me. And plus, I get to see the impact it has on the church I go to, on our community, on people's lives. So it's actually something I really enjoy doing, though it sometimes is a bit tough. And he was like, wow. And there was this kind of respect that he had for me, because I think he knew, I was always open about my faith, but he knew I had faith, but then he was suddenly like, oh, you really, you, you're like, you're putting your money where your mouth is. Like, you really believe this stuff. It kind of shifted things for him. And I, I, I started to realize that for too long, I had believed the lie that, you know, what I gave didn't make a difference. You know, sometimes because my capacity to give felt relatively small. And even if I stretched and really tried hard and really tried hard to be generous, it didn't feel like much. But then I realized that out of a little, God can do a lot. Great works of faith are founded on small acts of obedience. But there's also been times where my capacity to give has been so large, I've been worried that if I gave really generously, I might swamp the church with my resources and give it a whole new set of problems. But then I realized that God's placed me here. It could be anywhere in the world. He's placed me here. And he's placed me here as someone he wants to be generous. I realized that actually my spiritual need to give to the church was far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. Your spiritual need to give money to the church is far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. You know, I, giving has changed my life. It's changed how I feel about church. It's changed how I feel about my faith. It's blessed my relationship with God. It's changed how I feel about my work, my purposes, my priorities. It's given me greater joy and peace. I feel like because I was able to trust God back with what he'd entrusted to me, he was able to trust me with more. And I saw kind of opportunities open up, divine connections at work, favor from people I didn't expect. It felt like my influence, my opportunities, and my resources increased. I'll just encourage you, make room for increase. God loves to give to empty hands. It had a huge positive impact on me, but it also has a huge positive impact on the church. And then to be in this church, to partner in this church that is impacting this city, it's to invest in the lives of over 500 children, growing their faith in God, in God to give hundreds of young people confidence in Jesus, to train hundreds of students to have a vision for their lives and their generation, to equip 20s and 30s with the conviction that Jesus is Lord and he's Lord of their careers and he's Lord of their lives and he has a good purpose for their lives. To see marriages reforged, families restored, caring for the poor, the homeless, prisoners, the elderly, the vulnerable, to be part of the church, you know, not only has a local impact, but also a national impact through church planting and a global reach through Alpha. I just, I can't believe that we get to be part of the church that founded Alpha and has this huge blessing on the global church. And just last year, 1.5 million people did Alpha globally. Just one example currently in Aleppo in Syria, in a city that's been completely ravaged by civil war, one of the most brutal civil wars in the history of the earth, right now, devastated by rocket fire, there are four Alpha courses running in that city. People coming in and hearing about Jesus Christ. And we get to be part of it. It's not just over there. You're connected to it. You have a stake in it. You're a partner in it. Just think what could happen this year 
Knowing as we give, there's a guaranteed return. There's an eternal impact. 10, 50, 80, 100 fold. And then to realize we've been placed, not by accident, but by God's purposes in this city, in London, one of the most influential cities on the face of the earth, where right now 8.1 million people don't go to church. Millions of people walking around who don't know Jesus. We're trying to make sense of their lives without knowing the one who made them for a purpose. And we get to be able to say, come and see. We get to be able to be part of them discovering a relationship with God. You know, we live such short, fleeting, messy lives. And yet God says to us, why why don't you partner with me? I get to give what God has entrusted to me and be part of what's happening Invest it in the kingdom. I have never regretted giving a single pound I've given to God. I've only regretted the times I could have done more. When I could have seized the moment. When I could have made the most of the opportunity to give earthly treasure which I can't keep for eternal treasure which I can't lose. No one who invests in eternity is going to get to heaven and be disappointed by the return on their investment. Like saying, oh, I was hoping for more. It's just not going to happen. going to get there and we're going to see people who we didn't even know this side of heaven. People whose lives were changed by the chain reactions that were put into place by your generous giving. Just in the last few months, a few of the names of people who've come to know Jesus right here, Anthony, Holly, David, Mauricio, Karina, Hannah, Toby, Rebecca, Alex, Ayrton, Emma, Giovanni, Jess, Tristan, Paul, that's treasure. Think of the impact on their lives. Think of the impact through their lives, the difference that will be made. Think about what it would be like to meet people in heaven who say, look, I know you don't know, but you had a part. You played a part in me coming to know Jesus Christ. I just want to thank you. To give trusting that God will multiply it. Just think what could happen. You know, one day, lots of things which loom large today will fade away like shadows at daybreak. On that day, relatively few things will matter. Invest in those things. See what God will do in our church, in our city, and in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.